This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, where the worlds of technology and personal finance collide. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to make you just a little bit smarter about your money, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners. Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about career advancement. More specifically, we're talking about the importance of building and maintaining your network in real life, in addition to the platforms and tools available to help us stay connected. We've all heard the popular saying, it's not what you know, but who you know. But when you hear the word networking, how many of the feelings that start to bubble up are negative ones, such as anxiety, discomfort, and maybe even fear. And that word can be especially triggering for those who consider themselves introverts. And while... There have been several social media platforms and other tech tools built over the last couple decades designed to help make networking and building relationships easier for both introverts and extroverts alike. There will never be any true substitute for the authentic human connection felt by sharing a meal face to face. And while I'm someone who certainly credits the majority of their professional success to their willingness to build and nurture strong relationships, I am by no means the expert. So I decided to call up someone who is and have a conversation. My guest, Nick Gray, is the author of The Two-Hour Cocktail Party, a book about how to build big relationships by hosting small gatherings. Prior to becoming a best-selling author, Nick's been an entrepreneur, successfully selling and exiting two companies. Over 75,000 people have watched his TEDx talk about why he hates most museums, and he's been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the New York Magazine, which even once referred to him as the host of culturally significant parties. So, with that brief introduction... Welcome, Nick Gray, to the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you. I cannot wait to talk about networking and meeting people and all the great things about in-person events and stuff like that. You know what, Nick? I'm having a really hard time believing that this is the thing that you're excited about. It's not not really coming through. No. Okay. 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 You're joking. (laughs) Now I understand. Now I understand. Yeah. No, man. Your passion for this is certainly obvious. Uh, It it comes through in the pages. It comes through in talking to you virtually here in our virtual studio. But before we get get started and get too far into the conversation, you know, I breeze through your resume really quickly there in my intro. What else should I have included? Uh, Started and sold two companies got my my last company was really weird it was called museum hack and we did renegade museum tours first at the metropolitan museum of art in new york city Mm -hmm. i'll tell you 
where we made our money because your listeners are business people was I did these weird, wacky tours where I would hire stand-up comedians and Broadway actors to be the tour guides. And it became very popular and it was big on TripAdvisor and Yelp and social media and celebrities were hiring me. And that was fine as like a little thing. But then to make it a business, Mm -hmm. we started, we took those same tours and we made them team building experiences. And we sold them to companies like GE and Google and Nike for big groups to come to the museum instead of going bowling. And so, you know, we said, hey, bring your team to the museum. And that's really where it kind of rocket launched into a multi-million dollar business. Makes a ton of sense. I've been to the Met. I can't imagine how much more interesting it would have been if I had been with a, a comedian as my tour guide instead <laughs> of just my wife and I kind of figuring our way through the museum. So like that, as you're talking about it, it it's obvious why it had sort of a unique tilt to it. And then you throw on the B2B layer where the money really is and it makes perfect sense that's smart right and comedians are the best tour guides because they will roast the visitors and they just can read an audience so well and i think that's what was special about my approach to museums i wasn't hiring like i wouldn't hire people who had been tour guides in the past Mm. generally because they just bring a bunch of bad habits i wanted new fresh ideas to attract a new audience and I think that's so that was interesting on the resume. Now I do, you know, for work stuff, I do a bunch of investing now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I invest in real estate and high tech stuff. But this networking and my my book about how to host parties and helping people make new friends and boost their career. That's like my passion project. And I spend yeah. most of my time on that. So uh, I was going to go in a different direction, but you, you made me think about something else real quick when you were talking about comedians roasting the visitors as they come into uh-huh. the uh, museums. And I-, I was doing my research for this episode, as I always do, prior to chatting with you. And I came across something you posted on social media, which was about how to be compelling when first meeting someone new. Right. And so just now when you said that, it made me think about the shock and awe factor as right. far as meeting somebody new and and I won't say offending them, but like, you know, getting their attention, I guess is mm-hmm. a way to say it. And your advice to tie that in was to say something that makes people think, oh, I never would have thought of that. Right. Which is not easy to do. Right. Historically, people who are good at that tend to become politicians and CEOs and everybody else is right. just, you know normal people so like do you have any recommendations for how to become natural conversationalist that way if you are also not an aspiring comedian yes i have ideas okay some of my ideas are going to sound silly or stupid so call me out on those in social situations when i go up to meet somebody new by the way when you go up at a networking event and you join a group mm-hmm. there are two words that can help you join the group with ease with 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 poise. And those two words, as you walk up and join a group, are simply, please continue. Mm, they mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. make or ask the group to do another round of intros and everybody introduced. You just show your social awareness by joining, saying, please continue. And then when it makes sense, then you can join into the conversation. For people that are really shy, I will oftentimes suggest that they walk up. And again, this is, sounds real silly, but they can join up and go up to a group of people and say, hey, are you guys friendly? Okay, that's a <laughs> silly thing to say, but it's like, you know, it helps some people that have a lot of social anxiety to know what do I say. For those with more social sort of confidence, when I go up and talk to somebody, 
and maybe you do this. I want to hear what you do. But what I do, I try to carry the conversation for the first 30 seconds or so and not start to go into job interview mode and and put the work on somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I kind of try and you it's probably what I'm doing now. I just kind of run my mouth a little bit and hopefully I'm checking in with the person. I'm not self-promoting, but I'm trying to tell an interesting story or add value about something I read that's exciting, but I'm trying to carry the weight and not put it on them right away by saying, oh, so what do you do? Why are you here? All this stuff. I'm not trying to put the work on somebody else. Does that make sense? It does. And it definitely does feel like work. We're just now getting back to a world where we're attending conferences in real life and networking events and the team building things at work and all those kinds of things that you're talking about that are designed to get you out and shaking hands and meeting people. But before all of this with the pandemic even ever happened, people were like so not looking forward to (laughs) that networking event for that organization that I joined that keeps Uh sending me emails asking if I'm coming tonight and I'm trying to find a good enough excuse not to come tonight, (laughs) you know, selfishly hoping that one of my kids will tell me they feel even remotely sick. So I have an excuse not to go (laughs) and all those different things that we all go through when we think about traditional networking, which is, you know, what, uh, what prompted me to say, when I came across your book, this is extremely interesting. It's extremely unique. And it also, if done right, forces people not to lean on those comfort zones of, well, I can just send that person a message on LinkedIn, or I can just send that person a message on Twitter, or I'll like enough stuff uh, that they posted on Instagram that someday we'll become friends. And then from there, we'll do business, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a way to be more intentional about it and also not be creepy and also not be awkward. Right. And that's really what I wanted to, to get into. Oh yeah. That idea of adding value of giving before you take, I think that's what gives networking a bad rap, right? Cause somebody's they go to a networking event, you're swapping business cards and you meet a lot of insurance salesmen, no offense, mm-hmm. insurance salesmen and anyone I who offend works insurance salesmen all the time. So okay. No, okay. No. We're talking to you, Northwest mutual reps. Yeah. No, as I'm a just person kidding. who <laughs> has several insurance licenses, I offend insurance <laughs> people all the time. Okay. Okay. Good. <laughs> but so you asked sort of what my approach is and I think you just yeah. touched on it in a nutshell, which is one, uh, It's automatically interesting when I meet a stranger and they say, what do you do for a living? And I tell them I host a podcast about money and technology. They're immediately like, "Okay, tell me more. Right. Like you just said, or they're immediately like, keep going. But separate from that, my focus is always finding out enough of what this person needs that I can connect them to somebody I already have in my network that immediately I'm showing value. Right. I'm immediately trying to solve a problem that you're working through so that eventually like we'll get to a place where okay i just introduced you to nick who can help you finish writing that book you have in the back of your mind because he's gone through that process right and now all of a sudden you're thinking about me the next time you have x y and z thing come across your mind it's just naturally how we we work and so my cheat code or shortcut is always just to be constantly trying to find ways to connect people together with other people I already know to add value to both of them. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. And for a listener who is wondering, well, I don't host a podcast like Malcolm does. I didn't write a book like Nick did. What could I talk about? 
I think, and Malcolm, you may, I'd be curious what your suggestion would be for the average person, Mm -hmm. but I would go up and I would lead a conversation and say, hey, I just read this really fascinating book that I can't stop thinking about. Can I tell you about it? Or I just saw this show on Netflix that I binge watched last week. Can I tell you about it? And using a simple thing to talk about something you're truly passionate about. Note that you can't make this up. You can't make up some book that you haven't read. You have to genuinely like it. And that's what we did at my last company. We told the tour guides, we said, look, we can't give you a script on what to talk about on the tour because the visitors can see that in your eyes. If you're talking from a script, (laughs) they can tell immediately. Yeah. You got to tour the museum yourself. We'll pay for you to explore. But you need to write your own tour to talk about stuff you're excited about. And I think that that applies to meeting people through a professional context, that that energy and excitement. If your company has a product that you truly are excited about, maybe it's a niche product that doesn't get a lot of attention, but you're like, oh my God, this is my favorite thing that we do. That is what I would lead with, that excitement and energy. And that's how to make a great first impression. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more it's tough to 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 fake it and people can see right through it you're kind of just obviously waiting until the next conversation and the next business card swap just so i can finally be over but uh oh speaking of which can i talk about that for a second please i recently helped with this networking event in new york city over 500 people attended which is crazy but they reached out to me it's my friend sam who hosted it and he said hey can you come to the event help me mix people up a little bit because there's too many people and you know what are we going to do it's just going to be a mess and so i said yeah so i got about 30 people who signed up as volunteers and i trained them for 20 or 30 minutes on how to lead small group icebreakers Mm -hmm. the idea was let's divide and conquer the room have 30 people mixing up the crowd to do a quick round of icebreakers. Hey, just say your name, say what you do for work and kind of what you're working on now real quick. And one of the biggest takeaways, somebody wrote me up afterwards because he said, Hey, you taught me how to leave a group and to end a conversation. I always thought I just had to wait patiently Mm -hmm. until the conversation ended. And he said, now you taught me that I can say, Hey, really nice to meet you. I'm going to go circulate around the space. Yep. I hope to see you later. I think you're really neat. And he said, I never before had the confidence or I just didn't know that you could say that to somebody to basically say, hey, really nice to meet you. I'm going to go mix around the room that. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty guilty of either abruptly (laughs) walking away and leaving you in the hands of the other person or people who are now a part of this conversation or pretending as if I'm going to go get another drink from the bar, even though I have a one drink rule at events like this. So Uh either way, I'm that same person who has to awkwardly back their way out of these that you're talking about. (laughs) I like the idea of you just ghosting someone like one minute trying to make sure that you're not bumping into them again at any point <laughs> down the road because they may be offended it's it's yeah it's the reason no. we're having this conversation Nick. it's awkward <laughs> it's terrible 
nobody likes it, but everybody knows it's necessary. I'm being intentionally negative in saying it this way, because I Mm. also want to build up the other side of this, Mm. which is the opportunity to, to be the catalyst in a way or, or be the, be the, the, the network, so to speak, which is a whole other approach to this that keeps you from even having to go to these things. Or when you go enough people, there are warm connections that you have plenty of people who want to see you and talk to you. And it, it isn't awkward anymore. Yes, exactly. Yes, there's a lot of opportunities. When you're ready, I'll talk about my thoughts on how people can do that and how to use it to boost your career and bring people together, which is really kind of a problem. Like nobody teaches adults how to make new friends. Yep. And for most of us, we make the most, it's so weird, but so we make the most friends and connections in two times. One is when you're in college or university. Mm-hmm. And two, those first time when you just start a new job, you meet all these new people, but then it sort of, it, it just goes down. It becomes a game of attrition where you kind of well, lose more friends and connections than you make. So say more about that. What percentage of your networking would you say now happens online versus in real life? I like in I like real life events personally for meeting people for connections for stuff but there's so much value to LinkedIn to uh I live my life very publicly. Mm-hmm. I I post on Instagram stories, on Twitter, on social media, on LinkedIn. And so I think I'm kind of an edge case of of there's so many people that I meet online and I would say for the average person there's so much garbage LinkedIn requests. You'll probably mm-hmm. do better at at, at real events in person. Well, that's why I was, that's why I was asking. Cause as you were saying that, what I was thinking about was the fact that like, I see it as you want to build the, the initial relationship in person, right at a conference or a networking event or whatever. And then you want to use the online channels to nurture that relationship in the times in between the next time you're going to see that person in person, right? That's the way the the formula works in my brain, but not necessarily for everybody, right? Some people prefer meeting people online first, becoming friends that way long enough that when mm. you do finally go to the conference for the organization that you're both members of, that's when you meet in person, but it's a year, two years, three years after you've made that initial online, you know, Twitter connection or whatever. So everybody's got their own approach, but I was just curious for somebody like you who seems to really value that in-person connection, sort of what your approach is. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, has this ever happened to you, Malcolm? You, (laughs) you talk with someone and you get to know them on Twitter or online so much, and then you meet them in person and you're like, wait, who are you? And (laughs) I will actually make people take out their phones. I'll say, show me your LinkedIn, show me your Twitter. I need to see your profile icon because that is who I, I don't know you. I, I can't make the link. I don't know. That's, that's a stretch to try to interact online. I'm more the person that tries their best to not creep people out with the amount of information I actually remember from online talking to you so that you don't think that I'm a a crazy person stalking you. And I I frankly just have a pretty good memory for people in conversations. Yeah, that's good. That's nice. I like that. Hey there listeners. It's Eric with an A. And I'm interrupting the show for just a moment to tell you about our newest offering, the Tech Money Guide to Restricted Stock Units. This guide was developed to teach those who are paid in RSUs to develop a plan for how and when to convert those shares into actual dollars, as well as how to incorporate them into your overall personal financial plan. 
You may have already heard episode 50 where Malcolm described the guide in detail, as well as his own philosophy and rules of thumb when it comes to managing this valuable form of equity compensation. If you haven't, no problem. We would still encourage you to head on over to tech-money.com and download a free copy of the guide today. There's also a link to it in the show notes of this episode. Again, that web address is tech-money.com, and you can download a free copy of the guide right there from the homepage. In keeping with the promise of this show, our hope is that the Tech Money Guide to Restricted Stock Units helps make you just a little smarter about your money. Now back to the show. Well, so coming back to it, right, since this is the place where tech workers come to get smarter about their money, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is that your approach is the opposite of tech-enabled. Right. It embraces one of the most low tech forms of networking there is. So my question is, why cocktail parties? Right. Like, why not meet for lunch or for a beer or something more simple where I don't have to actually be the driving force behind much, if not all of it? OK, so your question is, why host a party versus meeting up for what a smaller group event or at a bar? Or yeah, I'm just like thinking, that? you know, if I want to go low tech with this, because you've convinced me that in person is the mm-hmm. way I ought to do this. Why host a cocktail party instead of just saying, hey, Nick, let's meet for a beer at so and so place that's equidistant between your office and mine at 430 and, you know, that whole thing. Sure. Okay, so let's make the assumption that you are reaching out to somebody to schedule that beer. Generally, when people are doing a targeted connection request, they are more or less reaching up. They are Mm -hmm. reaching to someone that they think can help them, they can learn from, that they would like to be a client or a customer. You're generally reaching up for those types of things. And in my opinion... If you want to connect with cool people, you need to be doing cool stuff. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And frankly, I I don't know. Is that interesting to to just meet for one-on-one for a beer? Here's the thing. When you host a party and you invite somebody, it's a little gift that you get to give to them. Everybody wants to be invited to a party. Yeah. When you host a party, it is so much more generous than meeting for drinks. It's also less of an ask. You know, if you meet somebody new and it's like, hey, let's let's meet up for drinks. And that works. I'm not going to discount that that totally works and it's it's going to continue to work. But I have personally found that if I'm reaching up, if I want to make a good impression on someone, I need to add as much value as possible. And the way to add that value is two things. One, for me to host them. So there's no settling a bar tab. There's no mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And two... To to introduce them to other people. That's really the secret of these two-hour cocktail parties that I host is that you're introducing a lot of people. You want to have 15 or 20 people there so that you can introduce everybody and you're going to be seen as the hub. You're the connection. And there's there's just so many reasons why, but it puts you in a leadership role. They get to see you in an elevated position. You look like a super connector. You're hosting at your home, which we can talk about, very controversial, but you're hosting at your home so it's more vulnerable and you turbocharge the connection. It's like going on a little date with somebody. It really snaps it out of that, let's meet for drinks in a professional context, and you bring people into this very special space 
to create these new connections. Well, let's let's stay there for a moment. You're making me realize that that I missed something in this conversation to this point, which was what the heck even is this cocktail party that we're talking about, right? I'm assuming that everybody uh, listening to this is familiar with the concept of a cocktail party. However, I left out key details like who is hosting it, where is it, when is it occurring? How much should I plan to spend on this? Can I host one of these if I live in an apartment and not a lavish brownstone in Brooklyn? Like, give me some of those details from a tactical perspective. Like, how do I even do this? Okay. If you want to think about what my secret party formula is, by the way, it's not a secret. I'm going to tell everybody (laughs) all the stuff. And also, it's not even about the drinks because I call it a cocktail party. Mm -hmm. I don't even drink alcohol. (laughs) But we use that phrase cocktail party because immediately people think a lightweight, easy social gathering where I'm going to have a lot of little conversations. It's an easy way to snap people into it. So that's that. The cocktail party formula, just think about my name, Nick, N-I-C-K. The Nick party formula is as follows. N stands for name tags. Everybody's going to have a name tag. I stands for icebreakers. You as a host are going to lead two or three quick icebreakers at the event. C stands for cocktails only. This is not a dinner party. And then K stands for kick them out at the end. It's a two-hour party. (laughs) Okay. Now I have some questions, but I will, I'll, I'll, I'll go somewhere real quick and come back and and ask your your opinion on this. And then I'll come back to what you just said, because you made me think of something else, which is one of my favorite books, period. One of my favorite business books, for sure. I guess all my favorite books are business books, but uh, it's a book by, I think it's Keith Ferrazzi. It's called Never Eat Alone. And one of the key concepts that he talks about and how he built his business, you know, and ultimately turned around and sold it for a gajillion dollars was the idea of hosting intimate dinner parties at his home in uh, New York. And then I think LA and for him, it was specifically about the dinner. You want Mm. to make sure you have dinner so that people can sit down eyeball to eyeball, break bread, blah, 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 blah. We all know, Mm. you know why that's important, but you're saying the opposite in a way you're saying, I don't want to serve you dinner. I want you to just come have a bottle of, I don't know, Fiji water. If you don't drink or, you know, a seltzer, a hard alcohol, whatever, whatever, whatever. You see, I can't even fathom like what that even means, Um, but you know, a glass of wine or whatever suits your fancy. Like I want you to just come have a drink or two, have a few good conversations and get the heck out. So why not feed them to Okay, here's the deal. For the average person, a dinner party is too complicated. I've hosted dozens of dinner parties myself, and I found that I could get 80% of the benefits of a dinner party with only 20% of the work by doing Mm -hmm. a cocktail party. Hmm. Dinner parties are really an advanced, advanced hosting move. I'm not saying they're not valuable. Dinner parties can be done very well, and they're great. But for the average person... They're never going to do dinner parties regularly, or they'll do one dinner party. Okay. You will find the most success in your career or launching your business when you make hosting a habit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you are someone who is always has your next event on the calendar, because it's just so easy. You meet somebody interesting. You have a new LinkedIn connection. Hey, 
My friends and I are hosting a cocktail party. Can I send you the information? It's just an easy way to start collecting people and bringing them into your world and building up that network of acquaintances. That's where we find out about the best career opportunities, business deals. It's through our acquaintances, our our network of weak ties and loose connections. It's not through our best friends. Well, okay. Stay there for a second, because in your book, you mentioned that exact phrase, weak ties and loose connections. Can you say a bit more about that? Like, How should we think about or classify who counts as a loose connection? Okay. I think about loose connections or acquaintances as people that I see a couple of times per year. Mm -hmm. They're not my best friends. They're not the colleagues I work directly with. Maybe at a big company. Oh my God. Think about all the people that you have in your business that, you know, you just kind of know them sort of, you know, that they work there. You'll, you'll see them on the halls. You're aware of their existence. Maybe, maybe it's even the type of person that you always say, oh man, we should go out and get a beer sometime. Yeah. Or like, oh man, we should go out. And the reality is you never do. Well, now you can invite them to a cocktail party. Just think about it. In the time that it takes you to watch a movie on Netflix, you could host a cocktail party and build connections and relationships with 15 to 20 people. Yeah. That's why I love these events. That's why in my experience, you know, I lived in New York City for 13 years. I moved there from North Georgia. I grew up in the South. I went to school in North Carolina. I moved to New York. I didn't even know how to talk to people or meet people. <laughs> and I'd go to all these, frankly, kind of crappy networking events. I mm -hmm. wouldn't have success. And I decided instead of going to bad networking events, I would bring the party to me. Yeah. Instead of me going to these, these bad events, I would host my own events where I would invite like half people that I knew already and half new people that I had just met. And that was my goal was to help them meet new people. And in turn, that helped me to add value to them fast. Well, I think I know what you're going to say to this question, but I'll ask it anyway, because I think you kind of took us, you took my brain in a bit of a different direction, which is whether there's a way we should think about who to put together at a party, right? Like, mm. I guess said another way, should I focus more on what the guests are going to get out of meeting each other and invite people based on who I think will get something out of meeting a specific person or what I will get out of the party personally by having all these people come together at once or making sure that there's no duplicative personality types or professions and making sure that it's extremely diversified. Like, how do you think about this group of friends to bring together? For the first party that somebody hosts, for the first one, because really you're learning by hosting my method, some facilitation techniques. Yeah. And most people in a corporate environment, they're savvy about it. But my goal is really to give someone a formula that is bulletproof, that is guaranteed to be a success. Mm -hmm. um, I suggest people to do their first party. That's like your friends and your neighbors. Do not reach for those top shelf connections that you're trying to impress. Your first party, you want it to be a low stakes affair. Yeah. And why is that? Because you want to have the confidence. You don't want to be nervous to trying to win this new client. You want to have the confidence to try some new things like using name tags in your home. Like yeah. having the confidence to know that your house doesn't have to be perfect. I hosted all these parties in New York in this tiny apartment 
that, you know, my kitchen was in the same, my kitchen was about the size of a ship's kitchen. It was tiny. My refrigerator was the size of a Amazon box. And, uh, I did not have a big apartment, but, but hosting in that small space was actually more exciting than a huge, big house. Anyhow. The, what do you think? Well, that's important, I think, because I, uh, again, took this concept not only from Keith Ferrazzi, but uh, Catherine, um, what's her last name, Graham from the Washington Post, mm. who was known once upon a time as like the power networker in or the power broker in all of D.C. Because like literally, if you got invited to one of her dinner parties, you knew you were going to meet somebody who was transformative, you know, career wise for you or life wise or whatever. So one of the things that she was famous for for counseling people was even if you have a studio apartment and a card table, that <laughs> means you have four sides to the table. You can invite three people, go get some two buck Chuck from yes. Trader Joe's and focus more on the quality of the conversations and the party. And that will carry your mediocre meal, mediocre wine, and mediocre apartment. So mm. don't feel like everything has to be perfect because the thing that really has to be great is the people and the connections and the conversation and everything else is allowed to be mediocre. So of course, you know, she is a multi multi-millionaire before she passed away, stepped up the quality of, you know, the, the accoutrement, so to speak, right. Mm. For each of these parties, but in getting started, her focus, even in school, was more on who am I bringing together and can these people help carry a conversation for a couple hours together? So I love that. I love that. And you're exactly right. And I think I remember reading about Catherine Gran in the Warren Buffett book, Snowball, mm -hmm. because she really shepherded Warren and kind of took Warren and his social skills under her wing. Is that correct? Do you happen to remember reading about that? So I do know that he's a fan of her. He's like talked openly about being a fan of hers and, mm -hmm. and she schooled him on a few different things, but mm -hmm. I haven't read that book specifically to know the direct quote that you're talking about. But I, I would, based on what I know, I would say probably <laughs> that's the, yeah. that's the case, but uh, it's just one of those things where you can look and say, you know, Warren Buffett's Warren Buffett because he's Warren Buffett, or mm -hmm. you can look and say, you know, Warren Buffett's Warren Buffett because he was willing to do these 10 other things that other people weren't, which made them uncomfortable. And so they never tried it again. So right. to your point about like, <laughs> trying things out at a, in a, in, in the most low stakes way possible, right? Pre COVID, my wife and I would host dinner parties and bring together interesting people, you know, in, in our house. And one of the things that I made sure to do, because I got this from reading Catherine Graham's work and from Farazi's book, it was not to, to bring those stretch guests to a dinner party first, right? Like you said, you wanted to start with the people that you were more comfortable with and build confidence from there. It also allowed me to, to uh, get a chance to know what dishes we had and did not have and things like that in my house that my wife educated me on that I couldn't put so-and-so item in so-and-so bowl because that's just not how you do it. And I, I you know, kind of as my unaware guy approach to it i had to kind of put it away and just you know lean on okay like whatever if, if, if this is what you say it's is how it's supposed to be done let's work it out before somebody who matters comes right and not to say that you know everybody doesn't matter but you get what i'm saying there's certain people that you're genuinely worried about impressing and then other people that you're just kind of like let's have a good time i like that yeah my 
My general feeling is I like what you're saying. I'm with you a thousand percent. We're jumping ahead too much. You are an A-level top 1% of like sort of someone who connects and knows a lot of people. And you are making a little bit of the mistake that many new hosts make, which you're doing great, by the way. You're doing good. I'm going to hope to convince you to host a party with my formula. (laughs) You're jumping ahead already to who can I connect to make this party special? Who do I need to invite? Mm -hmm. Remember, Malcolm, you are enough. People will come for you, for your generosity and your hosting just to meet and mingle with other people in your home. And so I am really trying to think about what is the MVP, the Mm -hmm. minimum viable party. Because what happens when you think about, oh, who do I have to invite? Who do I have to do this? We just don't host. We end up never hosting. And we need more people to host. Americans are lonely than ever before, especially in urban areas, big cities like New York, Chicago, LA. People in those big cities are even more lonely than people in rural areas. Well, I appreciate, well, for one, I appreciate the, the quick therapy session. I'll remind myself I'm enough when I drive <laughs> home today. But I, I, I appreciate <laughs> the approach that cocktail parties allow you to also have room for imperfection more than a dinner party does yes. in the sense that i only have eight spaces at my dining room table right so yes. i can only have x amount of guests at that table on any given day whereas a cocktail party as long as i've got space for people to stand up and and feel like they've got two feet of personal space i can now have 15 20 people at this yes. party and that immediately Uh, increases the amount of people that will be able to come increases the diversity of thought and the types of people who will be able to come and have conversation and all those kinds of things. So I really like, you know, the idea, uh, as you mentioned that the cocktail party is a little bit more, a little bit less stakes, but also easier to put together, easier to plan, easier to execute all that kind of stuff. Another question that I had for you though, as you were talking about something a little bit earlier in this conversation, where I think you were going with that was the fact that consistency is key in this type of an offering. It's not something you can expect to do sporadically or spontaneously and have any, any meaningful kind of success with, especially if you're a person who expects to see immediate results on the first time you try it. Mm. What is the interval or cadence that you would say, you know, was a good enough cadence to aspire to that I can plan to, to do this and see some success with, you know, whether that's once a month or something else. And then separately from that, is there a particular day of the week that I should be planning to do this? Oh, yes. Okay. Short answer to your first question. About every six to eight weeks. Longer answer. I'm working with this woman. Her name is Tatiana. And by working, it just mean I, I just, she randomly calls me and we talk about parties. She has now, she read my book. She's hosted three parties. Her first one, she invited friends and neighbors. Mm-hmm. Her second one, she tried to do a little bit of a theme. And her third one that she just had last week was with a girls group. It was like Wine Wednesday or something. And it, it, it was the best one that she said she's ever hosted. And no joke, it sounds like I'm like selling a like vitamin supplement company. <laughs> but she said her business is just booming because of all these new connections that she is getting from hosting these events. Okay. And you're exactly right. It doesn't happen right away, but the consistency. And so the cadence that she's found is about, you know, once every six weeks or so. And that's, that's fine. You don't have to worry about 
oh, is that too soon? Or do I invite people back? It's fine. The next thing you ask, what day of the week? Oh my God, I feel so strongly about this. The best day of the week to host is not what you think. The best day, in my opinion, are what I call non-red level days. Red level days are socially competitive days. Mm -hmm. They're days where you'll be competing with other events. You'll have more cancellations. You'll have more ghosting. And so I want you to host on a green level day. Those are Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday nights. We want less ghosting and more hosting. Interesting. I am a Thursday person because of what you just said. And I would consider Thursday to be like a green day. So you just completely threw out my playbook in your in your response there. What city do you live in? Where are I'm you? I'm in DC. In DC. Thursday's a day to go out. People go out on Thursdays. Well, that's also what's interesting to me about the idea of a cocktail party. It's that it's not the destination necessarily. Mm. It could just be a stop on the way. Yes. And, and and I don't feel insulted if you come by for an hour and keep going, which is, you know, New York and D.C. are two places that are very notorious for that. New Yorkers, especially. It's like, I'm going to go to this place for 16 uh -huh. minutes. Exactly. Yes. And I'm going to hop on the six. I'm going to go over to this place. Yes. And I'm going to show my face for like four minutes, but it's a loose tie. So I don't really have to worry about staying too much. I just want her to see that I was there. Yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to spend an hour and a half at this place because these are my real friends from college and I want to hang out with them. But then I'm going to finish off the night <laughs> at one of these two places, depending on what people text me back and say the atmosphere is like by the time I get to 1130, you know, and I ask them. So if it's a dinner party, it's the right. destination, right? Yes. You're a captive audience. You're a hostage if you don't like it here. And that's the thing that's running through people's minds. And so I think Thursday allows you to say, I can burn a Thursday evening and not feel like I'm missing missing out on my social calendar, if you will. Yeah. Whereas me asking you to come to a cocktail party, even on a Friday or a Saturday, honestly, if I position it right at six or seven o'clock and let you know that it's just cocktails, you could still have your whole evening and you came and made some good connections and had some good conversation and all that kind of stuff and were on your way regardless. So either way, I think you're, you're kind of opening up my mind that there's a ton of different ways to play this by going even more Spartan and saying, we're just going to have drinks. That's it. Yes. Bags, drinks, maybe some music playing in the background if I feel like charging my wireless speakers, but that's all you're getting. Yeah. Yeah. It's a basic gathering. It's a happy hour. And by doing that, you're, and there's other things that I talk about in my book. I want to tell you about this secret weapon I have called guest bios. I'll just tell you now. Can I tell you mm -hmm. now about Please. it? Please. Okay. Guest bios. So sending reminder messages. So let's just imagine you buy my book or you listen to this podcast and you, you commit. You say, I'm going to take this challenge. Nick and Malcolm talked about this cocktail party. I wonder how my life would be different if I had more connections if I was getting invited. By the way, that's one of the benefits you'll get when you host one of these parties. You'll get invited to so much more stuff hmm. because you're top of mind. People are thinking about you. They're inviting you. I hear this all the time. Oh my I God, I started that a negative, but I, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing that could be a positive is you'll also get introduced to new people yep. without you having to do any work. Because people will say, oh, my God, you got to meet Malcolm. He hosts these awesome happy hours. And people yeah. will just start coming into your life. It's great. 
What I want to say is that these guest bios that you'll send. So let's imagine you listen to this podcast. You accept my challenge to host your first party three weeks from today on a Monday, a Tuesday, or Wednesday night. Well, once you get up your list and you invite everybody, you're going to send three reminder messages leading up to your event. This is something that's so important that boosts your attendance rate. From having only, you know, maybe half of people, that's kind of the norm today, right? We expect we expect half of everybody might show up. Well, folks who read my book and follow my method are finding that over 93% of all those who are SVP actually show up. And here's mm. why. Because we send three reminder messages, one that that's sent one week before the party, mm. one that's sent four days before the party, and the other one that's sent the morning of the party. Mm-hmm. And that's common sense. You're like, okay, nothing special there. But in the last two, you're going to use what I call guest bios. And that's a brief little bio, you know, a brief little statement about half or more of all the people that are attending. Okay. Mm-hmm. So for yours, it might be like Malcolm hosts a podcast. He lives in DC and he's a reformed dinner party host. <laughs> Okay. You just some some sort of conversational thing, right? Ask Malcolm about his podcast. And I'm just going to write down little blurbs for half or more of the guests that are attending. Mm-hmm. It takes you 20 minutes, perhaps. And maybe I'll even link to your LinkedIn or something like that. What does this do? One, for people that are introverts or a little shy or have social anxiety, it gives them an idea of what to talk about and some people that they can meet. Yeah. Two, it builds excitement. Okay, you got something to say, so I'll finish. It 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 builds excitement and gets people to show up because they're like, holy cow, look at all these people. And three, it locks in those people. They're like, oh man, I'm listed. I gotta come. And it just helps them not have an excuse not to show up. What do you think? Yeah, I actually wasn't cutting you off. I was gonna say I I, I like the idea of be sure to ask Malcolm about dot dot dot. Mm. I think that's a really strong piece that makes sure that people feel comfortable or confident or whatever coming into the event, right? I know that the thing people are going to ask me about because Nick told them to is my podcast. And so I'm going to be prepared to talk to everybody I, I bump into about that. And that brings down my nerves, brings down the wall a little bit. And immediately I'm excited and prepared for whoever asks me you know, so what's the name of this podcast that Nick told me I should ask you about? Yes. We're just giving people conversational access points because with a little bit of guidelines, how many events have you showed up to and you go to an event, there's like, there's nothing, there's no name tags, there's no structure. It's like, okay, I guess it's just up to whoever I bump into and I happen to meet. Now that's who I'm talking to. I went to a fancy conference about a year ago and they had no structure at it. And I was like, okay, I'm getting in line for lunch. Literally, <laughs> whoever I stand next to in line, I guess that's who I'm going to eat with. And I hope somebody cool comes next to me. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying it's like a cool, like a popularity, but the reality is like, I do want to have a little bit of choice of who I meet at a social or a professional gathering. By the way, I tell everybody whenever you do your rounds of icebreakers, Always ask and get people to say what they do for work, even if it's just a gathering of friends and neighbors, because you never know who's looking for a new job, Mm -hmm. who wants to start a company. 
Like you never know those things. So we always say it. And I think it is important. Well, DC is one of those places you don't have to worry about asking people what they do for work. It's it's if you gave me a name tag, I'm going to write down what I do for work and then remember that I was supposed to put my name on it. So the, you don't have to worry about that here. I need more DC energy in my life. <laughs> no, like you don't. That. No. You, oh, my God. I hate it. It's it's it. Anyway. Yeah. I, I It's one of those of my friends and I who are actually from here. We complain about all the time because DC is one of those places that, you know, people come to expecting to climb a ladder and uh. you know, career progression and blah, blah, blah. So everything is, what do you do? Not what's your name? How mm-hmm. are you? You know, how do you feel? Any of that kind of stuff. So, so my last question actually has nothing to do with networking, or I'm going to assume it, it probably has nothing to do with networking. So you can kind of relax your shoulders a little bit and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sit back in your seat a little bit to answer this one. But uh, let's say you never found your passion for networking, at least not to the point that you decided to write a book about it. But money wasn't a factor in your decision making at all. What do you think you'd be doing to occupy your days? Hmm. If I wasn't doing this book and if I I wasn't doing a business, you know, something I think about a lot is what are things that really truly make me happy? When do mm-hmm. I have the most amount of fun? And I love I love talking about parties and networking events as you can tell. But if I wasn't doing anything with that, okay, this sounds so silly. Don't make fun of me. I am very good at teaching people how to juggle. Hmm. And okay. I think I think that juggling is a skill that once you learn it, you have it kind of for the rest of your life. And I can teach about 40% of anybody that I meet, I can teach them how to juggle in about five minutes. I can't teach everybody, but some people I can teach very quickly. And so I think that would be a fun challenge to see, you know, in one month, how many people could I teach how to juggle? That has got to be if not the one of the most unique answers to that question I've ever gotten on this show. So <laughs> points for, for uh, uniqueness and creativity, if, if nothing else. But uh, so I, I have to say, you know, points for, for uniqueness, but um, before we get ready to wrap here, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and, or pick up a copy of your book, Nick? All right. I am on a mission to try to talk to and to get 500 people to read my book and to host their first cocktail party. I keep a list of all of those 500 on my website and I'm still on there. So if you want to take this challenge to host your first cocktail party, check out my book. The name of my book is called The Two Hour Cocktail Party. It's sold on Audible, on Amazon, on Apple Books, anywhere you buy books online. And then I have a a thing that I call my friend's newsletter, where I send out a newsletter to people with party tips and business research and other networking advice. And you can find that on my website at nickgray.net. I have a bunch of articles, how to plan a networking event, how to host a happy hour, um, even how to host a book swap or a clothing swap. So I'll try to include those in the show notes. Awesome. Well, on that note, Eric with an A, why don't you go ahead and close this out, sir? I would love to. Gentlemen, this has been fantastic. Nick, that last thought that you just talked about, the the 500 folks, I would love to see you do like a a follow-up book of the, get each one of those people to tell you their favorite story from their very first cocktail party. That would be an amazing read to see what happens at these parties and and give encouragement to all. The only other suggestion I have is when you're talking about Malcolm's bio uh, for his cocktail party, 
I think the, the question should be, hey, ask Malcolm to show you his favorite TikTok dance. He's he's big into it. I don't know if everybody knows that, <laughs> but do that and, and you'll just be absolutely surprised. Malcolm, of course, we wouldn't be here without you, the, the boss, the master. You have done a great job of picking guests again. Nick was fantastic. I loved it. Uh, and our last thank you, of course, goes to you, listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Tech Money Podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review as this will help others find the show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on money. And we'd love to hear from you and answer any questions you have. And you can do so by emailing them to podcast at tech money.com. Again, thank you so much for listening today for everyone at tech money. Our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening. The information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com.